So we all know corporations bend over backwards to cater to LGBT, BLM, and every other woke leftist acronym in the book, and whatever, it's their right to do it. However, that right does not extend to discriminating or penalizing white people simply for being white. And American Express is finding that one out the hard way. My show starts now. Lawsuits for discrimination are nothing new. Cries of racism, sexism, homophobia, and the like are a bat signal for people and their lawyers looking to jump on the Oppression Express to make a quick buck. Now, I usually take these kind of lawsuits with a grain of salt because they're numerous and often frivolous. But this class action lawsuit against American Express breaks the typical mold. Back in August, a former Amex employee, Brian Netzel, and his attorney, David Putorak, both of whom will be joining me soon, filed a class action lawsuit against the company, alleging they experienced an avalanche of bad things coming to white people in that company once George Floyd was killed. Now, it's one thing to post a black square in a desperate attempt to pander, and it's a whole other ballgame to purposefully and explicitly single out white people with anti-racism policies that give preferential treatment to black employees while signaling to the white ones that their race would be an obstacle and an impediment. Now, the complaint goes further to allege Amex sought out black employees for perks and promotions to fill quotas. And meanwhile, a black female manager for the company would aggressively harass and berate white employees. And according to the lawsuit, Amex was not only aware of this, but provided financial incentives to executives able to reduce the number of whites at the company. Holy hell, this is some McCarthy-era BS right there. And since my next guest filed that suit, three more plaintiffs have joined. And sorry to tell you, Amex, but the mainstream media might deal in woke currency, but at least for now, the justice system does not. Joining me now is Brian Netzel and his lawyer, David Petorak. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for being with me. I've been glued to the story since it broke in August, and I'm very excited to talk to you about it. You know, Brian, I want to start with you on this. What made you want to file a lawsuit like this? Because it couldn't be easy. Anytime you say, hey, I'm a white person, I'm being discriminated against, you know there's going to be some backlash and some people that give you the side eye. But why did you do it anyway? Well, I guess I did it really because I was fired. You know, that's really the, the, the beginning of it. But mostly somebody has to stand up for this. And sometimes you're thrown into a fight and you just have to fight. And that's basically where I stand. This needs to stop. It needs to stop right here, right now. And the only way to do that is with litigation. Yeah, well, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm so glad that you did it because it can't be easy. But somebody needs to stand up and say these things. You know, there was an influx of, of this kind of behavior, of course, after the death of George Floyd. We saw riots, we saw looting, we saw the country in flames, but we also saw a lot of companies really bend over backwards to cave to that narrative and to make sure that they put certain employees over others in some kind of a woke virtue signal, which is not okay. But the stuff that you guys talk about in this lawsuit, it goes further than just, oh, you know, maybe they're trying to give some people preferential treatment. I mean, what you guys are alleging in this lawsuit is that it was pretty bad. David, I know you're the lawyer in this situation. What are some of the things in this lawsuit, in this complaint that stand out most to you that the American people should know? Yeah, Tommy, in all the years I've been practicing law, I've never seen a company be so brazen and blatant about violating this country's most fundamental civil rights laws. 
Um, you had executives get 15% bonuses for making the company less white. That's what we're alleging. And this is on paper. You had uh, the CEO of the company go up in front of everybody in a global town hall in front of every employee and explicitly tell them, um, here are the charts, here are the racial demographics of the company, and specifically pointing out the numbers of black employees. And we allege that the CEO went in front of everybody and said, we are going to up these numbers to match the population of the United States. And if you don't like it, go find another place to work. You had managers getting these marching orders and saying, you know what, we're hiring only black people from now on. I've never seen anything like this. High level executives explicitly telling their underlings, this is what we're doing. We're only hiring and promoting black employees from now on. And it's even worse than that. If you're a white employee, Brian, I mean, some of the stuff in this complaint is that you were berated, uh, that you were essentially signaled to that if you were white, there was a target on your back. And there's a lot detailed in the complaint. But just from your experience, especially after the death of George Floyd, what was it like going to work? And was this a daily occurrence? Give us some background on some of the things that you experienced firsthand. Well, it was scary. I mean, you know, the the tone that Steve Squirry created in that town hall, he literally said, we're going to fight systemic racism at American Express. And if you're not on board, you need to find another place to work. Those are basically you need to find another place to work is his exact words. And this put a target on everybody's back based on the trainings that we underwent later uh, that said that, for as an example, one of the trainings said it's not, a, it's not what you said, it's what was perceived that you said. So if somebody decided what you said was racist, you were reported and you, you could be disciplined, including termination. And, you know, that caused a lot of, a lot of whites to worry about other employees uh, using race to settle personal animosities. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we were just we were told what you said didn't didn't matter how they said they felt was the determinant. Yeah, I mean, there was a, a lot of power given to certain individuals in this country, and to me, that's racist in and of itself to everyone involved. When you're looking at skin color as the barometer for how you treat somebody or what you're emboldened to do or what you have to say silent on, that's racism 101. But Brian, I wonder, your fellow employees, your fellow white employees, did they feel the same way you did? Or were they going along with this by and large? Were they saying, hey, listen, you know, justice for George Floyd, we we support this. So they, they have these feelings of white guilt or what was the atmosphere like around other, I guess, employees that aren't of color that you worked with? Well, I hate to speak speak for current employees because they're scared for their jobs, but I can tell you that many people uh, were afraid in the same manner that I was. It was rampant. Um, and I want to give you a little background. For 18 years prior to Steve Squirry becoming CEO, we had a black CEO by the name of Ken Chenault, one of the best CEOs ever, race forgotten. He never had any issues about this. We never thought that people were being promoted because they were black or being fired because we were white. He had a, a great, great setup and, and he, he did a wonderful job. He was even self, even self-deprecating about his race. He made a comment in the second to last uh, uh, town hall meeting with the entire staff. He, he made the classic joke about how can you tell us apart? 
Um, he was just a great guy. There was never this, this tension in the company. Squirry comes in, George Floyd gets killed, and, you know, and literally all hell broke loose. Wow. And, you know, David, I want to go to you, too, because you told our very own Fox Business that since you first filed, your phone has been blowing up with Amex employees alleging similar anti-white treatment. What can you tell us about some of the phone calls that you've received, especially, you know, as of more recently? Yeah, it's been it, it's been honestly devastating. Like uh, sitting here with you right now is probably the first time in weeks that I haven't had a phone glued to my ear taking calls from people all over the country who've experienced this. And it's, I've, I've not only been shocked, but I've been extremely saddened because what you have to understand, these are real human beings. You know, Brian here, what happened to him was deplorable. Um, everyone that calls me, it, it's a real person and I can hear it in their voices, how, just how devastated they are. And how depressed they are, not only about the situation, but uh, in, in a lot of ways, how their working environment, how their lives have been utterly destroyed. You know, many of these employees, uh, many of them have families, they got mortgages, and their lives were absolutely devastated uh, because of these policies that treat them differently because of the color of their skin. It's it's something that I never thought in the United States of America that I would have to experience and go through uh, where people are basically treated like they were before the civil rights laws were passed and yeah. openly and brazenly. Yeah. You know, it's one thing for these corporations to want to battle what they see as systemic racism and they want to fight the good fight. They want to be woke. You know, that that's one thing. It's another thing when in practice you start harassing and bullying your own employees because they were born white. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Well, actually, I can because I think that this is not the only major corporation that has done this. So that's my next question for you, David. Since you have filed this and since there has been media coverage of this, do you think that there are other corporations that are going to be in trouble for similar policies? And can you tell us anything about what you've heard? Oh, I, I know there are, Tommy. I know there are other corporations that are going to be in trouble. And if I have anything to do with it, um, I'm going to be the one that's going to get them in trouble because the people that are calling me are not just from Amex. Uh, you may have seen there was recently a story about a tech company in San Francisco, of course, <laughs> um, that had a mass layoff of employees and the CEO openly came out and said that they did it from an anti-racist perspective. So we're looking into that. Uh, there was a, there was a tweet by Chris Rufo that said, you know, anybody who is let go as part of these uh, anti-racist firings should call my firm. And, you know, I've been looking into that. I've been looking into many fortune 500 companies that have, um, that have started these kind of policies. So uh, this is definitely not the last one. Yeah, well, I hope that some attention is drawn to this. But, Brian, I want to go to you again. Um, what are you hoping to get out of all of this should you win? And how confident are you that this class action suit is going to be a winner for you and for the others that experience this at Amex? Well, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're going to you know, emerge victorious. Um, they've already there was a. a a journalist that asked for the trainings uh, through an SEC filing and American Express refused to provide them, saying that it was none of the stockholders' business. If these trainings were so benign and so wonderful, why aren't they making them public? Uh, so we, we feel pretty confident with this. Uh, you know, what I want ultimately is I want to be 
maybe the start of this anti-wokeism really stopping and, and leaving uh, race out of the equation and making, you know, promotions and, and, and money based on merit like it should be. Uh, race shouldn't have an effect. Uh, what do I want from American Express? Uh, number one, I want the people that they harmed to be made whole. Uh, number two, I'd like an apology. And number three, I'd like them to stop this racist practice. It's, it's just that simple. It, do, it, it doesn't need to be supremely difficult. They just need to apologize for what they did, stop, and make the people that they harmed whole. I agree, and I hope that you win, and I'm glad that you filed. But Brian, my last question for you is, what backlash have you received? The internet is a, an evil place, especially social media. And your name has been in every article. You spearheaded this along with your attorney. But you really, being the one that called it out, have you had some nastiness come your way over all of this? Uh, overall, not very much at all. I mean, it, it's been extremely positive. I try to stay away from, from you know, some of the chat rooms and, and the talk about this. But my, my, my guesstimation about, you know, how this is going is probably 95% or better positive. People really looking to, you know, jump on board here and support us. So uh, I, I've been I've been actually supported much more than I've than I've been not supported. David, and for you, are, are there any that have joined this class action suit that maybe are of color who have pointed it out as well and said, hey, listen, we might not have been racially affected by this because we were in the class of more the preferential treatment, but we're not OK with it either. Have, have you heard any any kind of discussion like that, either in the lawsuit or just people that you've spoken to on the phone? Yeah, so I can tell you in, you know, in our complaint, um, in our amended complaint that we filed, there's a story of, you know, what uh, a black gentleman who was, uh, you know, he was towards the bottom of his team in terms of performance. And when the company during COVID said nobody's getting raises, uh, this gentleman got a raise and he, he himself was surprised because he was one of the bottom performers on his team. So he went to his manager and asked, you know, hey, uh, did, did I get this raise because I'm black? Which, uh, again, we allege that the CEO himself went, went and, you know, said that we're going to reevaluate our salaries and bonuses based on race, even when there was a, a bonus freeze. And when this when this gentleman asked his manager, the manager basically admitted and said, yeah, you got a raise because you're black. And this guy, you know, he was an athlete his entire life. He was uh, someone who believed in merit and competing. And he was so disgusted by getting this unearned privilege, this unearned bonus, purely because of his race, that he left the company because of that. This is how disgusting and vile these policies are, that everybody of all races across the board said, screw this, this is not America, and we won't stand for this. Well, and furthermore, how condescending, how condescending to receive something and be told, you know, you got this because the color of your skin, whether it benefits you financially or not, the premise of it is disgusting, it's insulting, it's racist, and it's un-American. But I thank you both, not only for being with me today, but for shining a light on this. There's one thing about wanting to correct historical wrongs, and there's another thing about the pendulum swing so far the other way, that people are being penalized for the color of their skin if their skin happens to be white. There's no place for that in America, and God bless you both for standing up, speaking up, and doing something about it. So many people talk, not a lot of people have the guts 
and the intestinal fortitude to go through with it. So I wish you guys the best of luck and we'll be watching this case very closely. And thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you guys, thanks. best of luck. All right, up next, she's not only sticking it out in Gavin Newsom's California, but she's doing something about it. School board candidate, podcast host, Red State's deputy managing editor, Kira Davis, is next. So I give my next guest a whole lot of credit because unlike so many California refugees, myself included, she chose not to only stay in California to fight the good fight, but she's running for her local school board to make some changes. Joining me now is California school board candidate and my friend from California, Kira Davis. Thank you so much for being with me and good for you. I mean, you know, you and I have worked on shows across Fox for several years now. We spent a lot of time together in that L.A. bureau. We talked about the disaster that is California, but you're deciding to do something about it. So why run for school? board in a place like California? And do you think you have a shot in hell in that liberal hellhole? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Tommy. Uh, it's really good to see you, girl. I'm so um, pleased to, to be on your show. And thank you for having me. Yeah, as you know, well, things here in California are crazy and it's really hard to affect change from the top. I mean, we all know how that recall Gavin Newsom um incident turned out and it just seems like we're always being thwarted at the top. But one place we do have a chance to make change is at the school board level, because these are local issues and parents led by what was happening in Loudoun County over the last couple of years are really, really involved and concerned about what's going on in public schools lately. And I am a public school parent. I have two children, one uh, who graduated in 2020. And unfortunately, he didn't really get to graduate. His cap and gown are still in the shrink wrap. He just never got that experience. And I have a 15-year-old daughter who's a sophomore. So she's still got more schooling to go. And as you know, Tommy, you've been reporting on it. COVID just ripped the mask so to speak, off of everything that was going on. We were watching uh, our teachers teach our kids about concepts like, um, you know, you're an oppressor or you're a victim because of your skin color. Um, you can be a boy if you choose to be. And here's, how, by the way, here's how to have all kinds of different sexual experiences, keeping parents out of the classroom, keeping parents away from what's going on, not to mention all the mandates that were totally unnecessary, oppressive, and flew in the face of science and data. So my school board representative here in Southern California voted to extend the mask mandate on our kids in March. And then she resigned because she couldn't take the heat. She had two years left on her term. And Tommy, I said to myself, that's enough. It is time to put my money where my mouth is and walk this walk. We have got to change things. Uh, and, and the only way I feel like I can change things on my school board, if there are, is if there is someone on there who thinks like me and the only person I can guarantee who thinks like me is me. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm running, I'm running to change things. And you may, believe it or not, I believe I have a very good chance to win this race. And we have a chance here in my district, Tommy, to flip our school board. Well, there's some crazy things going on in your district. You mentioned a couple of them, but there are some even wilder stories that have gotten some national attention that you clued me into, too, and that you talk about all the time on your Twitter. But there's some crazy things happening. First of all, let's tell me about the young girl who uh, dared to say that all lives matter. Boy, that didn't go over well in California, did it? No, it was a really um, 
shocking case, I the uh, civil rights attorney for this mother named Chelsea approached me and said, hey, we've got this case. We're suing your school district, which is, by the way, Capistrano Unified School District here in Southern California. And um, we've got this case. This mother says her seven year old daughter drew a picture for her friends during all of the Black Lives Matter events that were going on. And she has a very diverse group of friends. She goes to a bilingual school. And, and so she drew little representations of her friends on the picture. And she had friends of all colors, you know, Asian and, and Hispanic and black. And, and so she drew pictures of them. And at the top, she wrote Black Lives Matter in her cute little scrawl, her seven year old scrawl. But underneath it, she wrote any lives. Just thinking, oh, black lives and right. also all of the lives of the people. This is this is as recounted by her mother. And apparently she uh, the parents of the child that she gave that picture to were a little concerned. They felt that it had some overtones to it that they didn't like. They did reported to the principal. Um, I don't think they had any ill intentions, but the principal did ask the child, according to this mother, to stand in front of her peers and teachers on the playground and apologize for drawing this picture. And her mother did was never notified and did not find out until many months later, almost a year. And she found out through the grapevine. And when she went to get help, it was just a big old mess. They denied it. Then they didn't deny it. Then they tried to clean it up. So finally, she said, look, I, I'm, I'm going to sue. I feel like our rights have been violated here. I'm not quite sure how to go about this, but she was just beside herself. And this is just one. Now, this case is still pending, so I don't want to be too declarative about what was going on. A lot of this is alleged. But at the same time, it just ripped the lid off of all of this other stuff that is going on in our school district. There are parents that are experiencing this and complaining about this, and they're not getting any help. Worse, Tommy, they're getting gaslighted. They're being they're being called into these offices alone and then they're being told, oh, well, you're the only one. And what I've learned running for school board and all the messages I'm getting from parents. No, this is not the only one. This is an infection. No, it certainly is. And it's a problem in California because nobody wants to stand up and say anything because no one wants to be called a name. Living in California for several years, I learned that very well. People would come up to me and tell me they were a conservative, but they had to tell me in a whisper because nobody wants to be called a name. And that's why the liberals in California believe that they are not only the majority, but the supermajority and the only ones that live in the state. There are other things, too, that are going on in your district. A, a queer library with sexually explicit materials. I mean, this is happening not just in California. This is happening nationwide. But back to, you know, the leader of your state. You mentioned the recall. I was really cheering for that. I was really proud that that even got on a ballot. That was very astonishing to me that they were able to do it. It's still astonishing to me that Gascon was not recalled and that that didn't make it to a ballot. That, I don't know what happened there. We'll save that for another discussion. But I want to talk about Gavin Newsom because he's been in the headlines recently because he's put himself in the headlines recently. Uh, he goes to Texas. He says that liberals need to fight harder. Um, okay. And he also has been going after Governor Ron DeSantis in a very bizarre and almost obsessive way, spending money on campaign ads to try to convince Floridians to move to California. I mean, what do you think here? Is this man getting ready for 2024? Yeah, I mean, Is that what he wants? On. 
Yeah, come on. Oh, uh, yeah. People are going to pick up from Florida state with no income tax and move to California where you can barely afford to be middle class making $180,000 a year just so you can have access to abortion in case you need it. I mean, Tommy, of course, he's running in 24 and he is running for president right now. Obviously, he's spending so much time attacking governors like Abbott and DeSantis and other governors and other red states. I'll have you know that we are still in a state of emergency in the state of California. We are on year three of nearly godlike powers for our governor. He has not relinquished his state of emergency powers. If you ask Governor Newsom about what is going on here in California with COVID, protocols and the pandemic, he'll tell you that we are still in danger. We are still in a state of emergency. Now, everyone's gone back to work. Everyone's gone back to school. Mask mandates are a thing of the past for now. Even vaccine mandates are going by the wayside. And we he still has us under the state of emergency. And yet he's nowhere to be found when it comes to California. Yes, he's running for president. But we will make sure those of us here in California are going to make sure that when the time comes, they're going to know that that 3 a.m. phone call that everyone's always talking about. Can you be there for that 3 a.m. phone call? Newsom's never going to be there for the 3 a.m. phone call. He's not even in his state at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. No, he's, he's nowhere to be yeah. found. So he's not going to be Texas. hanging around right or he's at the French laundry. Oh, and it's also wonderful when you declare a state of emergency over COVID, but then you also have to tell your people to ration energy uh, if the temperature gives ab- gets above 90 degrees. I mean, that's also wonderful, but also electric cars, and now they're going to have biodegradable burials there. I mean, the madness that comes out of California is astonishing. But Newsom did something else recently that I want to get your take on, and that's the state IDs for illegal immigrants. So when I read this, I was like, This is nothing new. Illegals have been getting driver's license in the state of California since 2013 and then automatically put on the voter rolls, by the way. But now he's just extending it further. Now he's making it even easier for what he feels is illegal immigrants to participate, uh, get their health care benefits, be able to use banking services, government aid and assistance paid for by American taxpayers. What do you think about this? And do Californians even care at this point? Or are they just so used to this that it's just water off a duck's back? It's it's one more rock on our backs. I'll say that we do care, but there's so many battles to fight here. It's almost overwhelming. And so that ID thing, we've accepted that this is what they're trying to do. I have it on very good word from plenty of Sacramento insiders that the, that the unstated goal of the Democrat party is to have everyone in the state on some form of welfare or belonging to a union. And that's the goal for them. And that's how they believe they're going to retain power. So this ID thing is, is very frustrating, but we do have a super majority in Sacramento and the only person standing between us and a bad bill is governor Newsom and his veto pen. He has 550 bills to go through by Friday at midnight to decide whether or not he's going to veto 550 bills in one legislative session. So it's nearly impossible to stay 
on top of these kinds of things. And that's why I really think people who are doing things like I am running for school board, running for their local offices, that's where we're going to affect the change. It's going to be a bottom up change, not a top down. Because imagine this, Tommy, let's say I flip my school board. We have 3,400 open school board seats in the state this election cycle. So imagine half of those people managed to flip their school boards. Now we have a governor who's saying we're still in a state of emergency, but we have school boards who are controlling millions of students and their education going, well, you know what? We're not going going to cooperate with that sex ed curriculum, or we're not going to cooperate with that mandate or or that mask mandate. We're not going to cooperate with this. And further, we're going to sue to make sure we don't have to. Imagine the sea change at the top. And I think that's where we it will be. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's also another important point beyond just getting rid of some of this curriculum and making a stand. It also sends a message that conservatives or even just independents, yeah. even just sane, rational people in the state. There are people yeah. that think like you. They've been elected to school boards and we wish you the best of luck because I know that you're a fighter. I know that you're not going to stay quiet. And I wish I could be a fly on the wall at those school board meetings when you are elected, because I know that you're going to give them hell and then some. So Congratulations to you for for doing it. I think you're going to be wildly successful. I think you're going to win. And please stay in touch with me and let me know how it all goes, because I can only imagine the wild stories you're going to have for us. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. Thank you so much for your support, Tommy. Can I give my uh, website away while I'm on with you? Yeah, kiraforschoolboard.org. You can go there and support me from there. Uh, There's no caps on donations for school board races, so that's great. And donations can come from anywhere. This is an all-hands-on-deck fight, people. Everybody's got to take their battle stations. And California is a great place to start in the school board. Parents matter, and it doesn't matter who you vote for. Parents should always be in control, and thank you for being here. And you know you've made it in life when you have a .org behind your name. So congratulations (laughs) to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Still ahead. Politics before people, a strategy Joe Biden has mastered right alongside lying, sniffing, gaffing and putting his own foot in his own mouth. The latest example and my final thoughts are next. Hurricane Ian is set to make landfall, and if the ominous reports are correct, it's set to be a storm unlike any Florida has seen in many years. Now, you'd think Mr. Unity, the president of all Americans, including red state residents, whether we like it or not, would put politics in his fear of getting electorally whooped by Ron DeSantis aside and do the decent thing right out the gate. But no, it wasn't until he had first called three Florida mayors, designated his FEMA director to be the liaison with Florida's governor, and was then put on blast by DeSantis and even liberal media outlets that he finally picked up the phone to call Florida's highest government official, Ron DeSantis. So yeah, the two finally chatted after all that, but will I be giving Joe a gold star, a kudo, or an ice cream cone for his 11th hour call? Hell no. Governor DeSantis should have been his first call, and the fact it took so long for our president to swallow his pride and do it just goes to show how petty Brandon truly is. But this isn't just pettiness on behalf of Sleepy Joe, it's fear. Because he knows dang good and well Ron DeSantis is America's governor, a shining example of leadership, and a massive threat to him, to Democrats, and to the control infringements and BS they've been pulling for two plus years. Every stupid move this administration has pulled, Ron DeSantis has done the opposite, from immigration to economics, to extended laziness boosting unemployment benefits to COVID, 
Ron has had it right, while Joe has wet the bed. And speaking of COVID, let's not forget the expert advice Joe gave us last hurricane season. Let me be clear. If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or a natural disaster hits. We can't prevent hurricanes making landfall, but we can prevent people from getting seriously sick and dying from COVID-19. Yeah, in August of 2021, Joe told us getting vaccinated was a vital part of preparing for a hurricane. Well, not only did the vaccine not prevent infection or spread then, it doesn't now. And unless something miraculous is in booster seven, it never will. And since it can't even prevent the spread of the virus it was designed for, my guess is the vax will also be ineffective against weather, natural disasters and category three hurricanes. When it comes to advice, preparation and guidance on anything from hurricanes to diseases to basic life tasks, I'm going to go ahead and put my money on Ron DeSantis over sleepy Joe Brandon. And those are my final thoughts. God bless the state of Florida. We're thinking of you and sending our prayers your way as you brace for the storm. Make sure to check out the entire show on Outkick.com as well as exclusive content from Nashville. God bless and take care.